eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in, welcome in to another edition, a season opener edition of the Game Plan Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. That's Greg Barnes beside me. Doc Staples is here. He is in transit. Life happens no matter what. Football season, college football season, of course, if you see Doc Staples there, you see nothing. Kind of reminds you what you see right now on ESPN if you have Spectrum. It's gone for a while. Greg, did you know that? I did not know that. It, and indeed, uh, Spectrum and Disney are in a fight. So anybody that was watching ESPN game tonight had a, a blank screen or a note that said basically they were in a fight. But I digress. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. North Carolina, South Carolina, Saturday night in Bank of America Stadium. Greg, uh, I entitled this show Critical Opener for the Tar Heels. I think it is a very critical opener for North Carolina here in year five of Mac Brown's 2.0. Your overall thoughts before we dig into it. Well, my number one thought is, is this, Tommy. When I, when I look at this depth chart for North Carolina, as you mentioned, we're in year number five under Mac Brown. Uh, this is a veteran bunch. I mean, this, this is a, a stacked depth chart. I mean, they've got four players at, at multiple positions obviously they got five at running back but they got four at linebacker four at jack uh four wide receiver three a lot of the defensive back positions uh i'm gonna make a proclamation right now tommy to, to start the year on the game plan the rebuild is over um and i, I think you have to give mac brown a lot of a lot of props uh, he's done a very good job recruiting since he came back in november of 2018. we knew that he would that's, that's what he's known for right um and so all the talk about carolina being inexperienced and young and, and having to fill gaps uh they've been successful in doing that now 
That doesn't mean North Carolina has arrived, right? You still need to improve your talent base. You still need to get better in certain areas, both in terms of coaching and how the coaching staffs may be constructed. There's always going to be tweaks there. There's always going to be tweaks with the roster. But in terms of having a, a program in place where you can weather injuries and suspensions and all those kind of things, um, North Carolina is in very good shape. So the rebuild is over. Now it's a matter of, okay, we know we have the foundation in place. Let's build upon that. And that's what this year is about, Tom. I mean, you talk about this first game being so important. South Carolina had a great close the last season. Uh, they were they were not a great team last year. Uh, and I think when you look at some of the pieces that they lost, uh, I don't see this team really competing for the SEC East. Uh, this is a team that should get to a bowl game, so it's going to be a worthy opponent. But this is a game that North Carolina should win. And this is why this game is so important. It's really a benchmark opportunity for North Carolina to say, hey, we understood we closed the season poorly last year. We lost four straight games, lost two games they never should have lost, and really got embarrassed by Clemson in the ACC championship game. It's an opportunity for Mac Brown and his program to say, we're better than that. We're going to be much more like the team that started nine and one. Um, and this is their showcase. This, this is an opportunity in the Carolinas at Bank of America Stadium to say, we're done playing second fiddle to some of these other programs in the Carolinas. We're going to be the top program, if not one of the top programs moving forward. And they can say a lot of things about that dynamic with the win on Saturday night. Jason, Greg sort of set the bar right there for these game plan podcasts with his uh, monologue there. And I agree with everything he said. It's time for North Carolina to put up and that opportunity to come Saturday. You're just overall thoughts going into this one. It just feels like a big game. I'll reiterate that. It feels like a big game for Mac Brown, a big game for the North Carolina program. Uh, Playing an SEC school, playing a, a neighbor to the south, playing all, you know, rivalry, whatever we want to call it, your overall take, and then we'll get into the nitty-gritty. Yeah, I think it's an enormous game, and for a lot of the same reasons that, that Greg Barnes just laid out for us. Very simple. You've got a veteran team now at a lot of the key spots. You, you have no excuses on the defensive line. You have – you know, no excuses, I think, at this point in the secondary with the corners and, and safeties being veterans and, and having brought in some transfer talent. You've got – you've developed uh, and you've recruited well at running back. You've got guys at wide receiver who can play. You, this is the kind of game that you need to win. Like Greg said, if you're going to be a, if you're gonna be a, a, a team that, that is hoping to contend for your conference – and then you're going to play play against a team that, look, I know they're in the same same division as Georgia. So, you know, probably nobody other than Georgia is really contending for that division. But I'm not sure that they're really a contender for the number two spot in that division. And that's not the strongest division in college football. The SEC East is not super strong aside once you get below Georgia. This is a game you've got to win. And it's a game that, that really sets the tone for the season. You've got to be able to handle that and, and, and do it well. Greg, to Jason's point there, setting the tone for the season, we saw in 15 that Carolina lost to South Carolina, same setup, you know, and then went on a run. It doesn't feel the same this year. A couple things that I find interesting 
and then I want to hear more from you. Mac Brown's first game at North Carolina in 88 was against South Carolina. Mac Brown's first game back against South Carolina in Bank of America Stadium. Uh, Mac talked about the game a couple of years ago that he will live with for the rest of his days. Um, I think a lot of us will after watching that one, especially being in the, in the stands for that one. Uh, British Brooks' last football game he's played was against South Carolina in that bowl game. Tamari Fox, same thing. Just so many narratives going on for North Carolina here in this game. Drake May, of course, the Tez Walker situation, which um, I'm, I'm kind of talked out of on that one. But just what would it mean as far as setting the tone for this team for this season? Not the program, but for this season, how important is it in that regard? And Greg is muted. I get to say it a bunch. <laughs> Rusty, man. Jeez. Um, I think there's a lot of parallels from how this offseason has played out to the 2021 preseason, right? Because you, you had a, a pretty good team the previous year that returned a lot of pieces. Uh, you've got a quarterback, one of the best in the country, you know, a Heisman candidate, at least that kind of conversation coming into the year, and a lot of expectation. Now, that team was preseason number 10. This this team is you know right at number 20. So um, not quite the level of hype. But what happened in that game, of course, is that North Carolina goes into Blacksburg and they were not prepared for the moment. Virginia Tech was not a very good team that year. They smacked them. And Carolina really never recovered and ended up with a losing record that year. Uh, and so I think there's this opportunity for the coaching staff, and they have done this, to say, look, we understand there's some preseason hype, but this is a brand-new team. What you did last year, winning those nine games, does not matter. You can't think about last year. You can only think about what we're doing right now in the season ahead. And so I really think it's that mental hurdle for this team. Drake May didn't play that year, but he was around it. He understood what took place. Uh, but you, you were able to go on a big stage against a pretty good opponent, you know, maybe not an elite team, but a good opponent, and show what you're, what you're worth and how good you actually are. That doesn't mean this is going to be a pretty game. I mean, first games rarely are, right? But if you do enough things right to be able to win the game, then you can take a sigh of relief. Then you can say, okay, we got the first one under our belt. Uh, and kind of build some momentum. You know, Dean Smith always talked about once you get into the season or once you get into the postseason, that's when you start building momentum. You can't do it before you actually play. And that's why Saturday is so important. It's really this opportunity for North Carolina uh, to hit the ground running. And that's why it's so important. Um, and, yeah, I mean, if you lose this game, well, you got another tough game next week, right, with, with App State. And then you got Minnesota coming to town. And then you got to go to Pitt. So it doesn't get any easier, especially if you drop the first one. But win the first one, get some confidence, and then you can get things starting to roll. Jason, from a from a former player and actually a coach on the high school level, um, how difficult is it to be dialed in exactly like you need to be going into the opening game? We've talked about opening games are sloppy. Max referred to them as crap shoots. You, you don't know what you're going to get. A lot of times, how difficult is that aspect of it 
um, for a coaching staff to get their guys 100% all in and all on the same page right out of the gate, especially since they do not hit as much in practice. They do not have preseason games. A lot going into an opener that we've talked about is a pretty big one for North Carolina. Yeah, I, I think you said a lot of things that already sort of answer that question. Uh, the, one of the first being that you don't do as much hitting in camp as you used to. Uh, you know, you used teams used to come into camp or come out of camp and they'd be pretty swollen and bruised and battered and all of that, but they'd sure be ready to, to hit and tackle that next opponent, that first opponent. Now, you know, game game one tends to be, if you look around the country, teams miss a lot of tackles in game one. You see more missed tackles week one than you do week two, and then way more in game in week one than you do in week three. And by the end of the year, teams are playing better defense. So generally speaking, it's it's harder for teams to be ready out of the gate on defense just because of the way that that the practices are run, the way that programs are run, you know, the rules, the way that they work now. Uh, I think that's very hard. I think it's, I think it's hard to be in the, in, in the full mode of physicality that you expect to be going into, into a game for that game one game. And, and the hardest thing to balance is you want to be really, really physical. You want to play that way, but you know, after a month of not, of hitting everybody, you know, when you are hitting, you know, you're thudding, you're doing a lot of those things. After a month of seeing nobody but your your teammates, you're really eager to go and hit somebody, to hit somebody else. And then the the danger there is that that produces its own kind of sloppiness. I mean, the other thing about week one is you're having to really tell your guys to manage their emotions. It's similar to a, a higher stakes game in other respects. You know, you're championship type games that sort of thing in that respect in that you know this is the it's the first game first time you've been back on the field with you know real stakes in a while and it's really easy to to get and you know people talk about oh this team came out flat or whatever most teams when they play poorly you know early on or that sort of thing a lot of times it's not that they that they came out flat or unemotional it's that they came out over emotional and wound up basically uh spending all that all that energy all that adrenaline on the first you know couple plays and then you know they they're, they're not ready to go after that and that's one of the things you're really trying to prepare your team for is okay you know get get that out of your system on the first kickoff but you know we've got to lock in and you're, you're emphasizing do your job in the first game that's the thing is is how how much can you make sure that your that your fundamentals do not break down in game one, and that that's that's the hard part. Yeah, Greg. When we look at the rosters, uh, you mentioned North Carolina, um, and and their veteran. I mean, you've got offensive line, this super veteran. Drake May's only started one season, but we we know what he can do. You've got a running back room, and on the defensive side, we've we've talked about it all off season and all preseason camp. It's time for their rankings, their their recruiting rankings to pay off. But flip it to the other side. I know you've been digging into South Carolina a little bit. Obviously, Spencer Rattler's one of those guys that gets all the talk. They've got some young skill guys that are great. But as far as looking at the game itself, where does it sort of favor North Carolina in the matchup, um, you know, position by position or, or position against position, wherever you want to take this, where does North Carolina have some advantages here? Well, one thing that we, we've talked about for years, Tommy, and I think anybody that, that watches 
football, whether it be the pros or college, understands this. This is not breaking news, right? Uh, you've got to win in the trenches. And one of the advantages that North Carolina has is, is really on, on both lines. Um, now, was Carolina elite along the offensive line or defensive line last year? No, they were not. Uh, offensive line was, was fine. Defensive line was really a mess. They were just not effective whatsoever. But they get everybody back. Of course, the offensive line lost uh, Austin Richards to the NFL. Uh, and you, you do lose a, a couple pieces along the Carolina defensive front. But pretty much all those guys are back other than Fahasek and uh, Noah Taylor. And so a lot, of, a lot of benefits there in terms of having guys that have played a lot of snaps. South Carolina, on the other hand, uh, they're talking a big game about the offensive line in the preseason, about, ah, they're going to be fine. They lost a lot. Uh, they're, they're relying on some some pieces that were not uh, playing a lot of quality snaps at other places, lower-level schools. I mean, they're relying on a guy from, from Yale to start. They're relying on a guy from, from Charlotte to play a lot of snaps. Uh, Western Illinois, I believe, is the other kid. So there's a lot of uh, holes along the offensive front that they're going to need guys to really step up and play well. And that wasn't a very good offensive line last year. So you have the the mindset of, well, it couldn't get much worse, right, which is kind of uh, what you can say about Carolina's defensive front. But defensive line-wise, they lost some key pieces too. And they do feel pretty good about the defensive line. I think that's a better unit than their offensive line. Um, now, can North Carolina, to your point, play better than what they showed last year? Uh, I think that's the big question. They have a new offensive line coach. They, they like him. They think he fits very well with what Chip Lindsey wants to do. Uh, and then uh, Monachino came in as an advisor to help Tim Cross with the defensive line. And I think those are the opportunities for North Carolina to really set the tone for the year of like, hey, we're actually going to win the line of scrimmage in this game because we should. And if Carolina can do that, then they're going to win this game probably uh, by more than a touchdown. Who big words there, Doc Staples from Greg Barnes on it. Where, where's North Carolina have the advantages here, Jason? When you look at uh, when you look at the matchups, what what can North Carolina fans sort of feel good about? I guess if you want to put it some way, against this South Carolina team. Well, it depends a little bit uh, on how Spencer Rattler plays because and, and which one steps on the field. Uh, and I do want to see him with a different offensive coordinator because I, I was not really impressed by Satterfield last year uh, and, and how they ran some things. Uh, I, I, I'm curious to see what happens now. I mean, this this coordinator, the new coordinator, uh, Logan's, I think is how you say his name, uh, is a, uh, you know, he's a Sam Pittman guy. And, you know, I, I think Pittman's a really good coach. And... I'm curious to see what they do there. But the, the reason that I say I'm curious on the on the quarterback side is and this might actually be this could be a disadvantage or an advantage for Carolina. Because Rattler last year and at different points in his career was a turnover machine at times. I mean, you look at the turnover worthy plays. That that's something I pay attention to uh in the you know, pro football focus metrics that they put together. You know, th this is one of those where 
you know, you can look at interceptions, right? A guy throws so many interceptions on the year. And that's, that's a, you know, to some degree, a measure of, you know, how, how accurate or how, how good a decision maker that quarterback was. But some, some of that's just luck. You, you throw a, a pass that hits a defender in the hands, squirts through the defender's hands and, and winds up being caught by your guy in the end zone. And that goes down as a touchdown, but that should have been a, t- that should have been a turnover. Well, the, the nice thing that, that pro football focus does is they, they mark that down and they say that that ball should have been intercepted. That's a turnover worthy play. So thing is Rattler's one of those guys who at times can be really sloppy with it. He, he had uh, last year, a, a 4.4% turnover worthy play rate. Now, just to put that in comparison, last year, Drake May had a 2.4% turnover-worthy play rate. If we want to get even more granular, last year, Bryce Young at Alabama had nine turnover-worthy plays in 12 games, okay? Nine. That's ridiculous. Yeah, that, that's, that's wild. Spencer Rattler had six against Clemson and Notre Dame in the two in the last two games of the year, and they won those games. If that tells you anything. Now, when they played Tennessee, he had zero. Jason, you're going side. Did I lose you there for? A yeah, second? you did. And, and they they lost Notre Dame game, right? They lost the bowl game there at the end of the season. But to your point, oh, that's right. They, that was close. Uh, but, but yeah. So here's the thing. They, um, you know, if if he if he does what he has historically done, I think there's a chance to get him to turn it over two or three times in this game, and that that changes this game radically. Greg, you want to follow there? I mean, I think you know. I, I don't want to start 2023 thinking about 2022 and quarterbacks that weren't very good having a lot of success even though that'll be a talking point later but building off Jason well look I mean the last two talking points that we've had uh, I talked about the defensive line needing to step up against the weak South Carolina offensive line and Jason just kind of laid it out there with Spencer I mean uh, as much of the off seasons we spent talking about Tim Cross's unit I mean this is going to be the story of the game uh, I, I'm gonna provide you a little bit more in-depth stats on Spencer Rattler because uh, Jason got us going in the right direction there. But when we look at Drake May, right, last year when he was kept clean, he had a 93.8 rating in pro football focus. Elite stuff. Really good. Under pressure, he was a good bit below that. He's a 65. But that's that's still pretty good under pressure. I mean, that you know, it's difficult to, to play well when you got guys on top of you. Spencer Rattler. When he's good, he's really good. When he's kept clean, he had an 85.7 rating, which is really good. Not quite Drake May, but it's up there. However, under pressure, he had a 28.9 rating. Wow. Which is terrible. Um, Completed 33% of his passes, six touchdowns, eight interceptions. Uh, The... The defensive line stats, and Jason may want to jump in here as well, were not good at all last year for North Carolina. And one point that that Jason made over and over again, and I'll let him expand if he wants to, it wasn't that North Carolina didn't blitz. They did blitz. They just couldn't ever get home. And uh, that starts up front, right? Because if you're 
Defensive line is not able to generate pressure with just four guys. You have no choice but to send somebody else to try to get pressure. Because if you let Spencer Rattler sit in the pocket untouched, and he's got Nick Harbour, who is 6'5", 240, and runs a 10-2-100 as a true freshman, he's going to eat you up. Juice Wells was first-team All-SEC last year at wide receiver. He'll eat you up. You got to get pressure on Spencer. And I mean, South Carolina is ripe for the taking with the offensive line issues they've got, with Spencer not playing well under pressure. But Carolina has to capitalize. They have to get to him some way, somehow. We didn't see it last year. That's got to start. That's got to change starting on Saturday night. Jason, it sort of tees it up, and I don't want to talk about what Carolina does yet. We'll talk about that when I do the break here in a minute. But is North Carolina's defensive line the most important position group on the field Saturday night for North Carolina to win the game? Well, I mean. For North Carolina to win the South Carolina game. Yeah, generally, <laughs> you know, we, we've how many, we've been doing this podcast for, what, 10 years now together? Is that right? Yes, at least. Yep. I, I think I've been kind of a broken record on this point that, you know, if you're going to break down the most, the most important places to be good starts at the quarterback position. You got to be, you got to be good at quarterback. Or you're probably not going to be very good as a team. And after that, it's the line of scrimmage, especially on defense. It's quarterback, defensive line, cornerback and wide receiver is where you build your team. If you're if you're good in those four spots, you can you can cause a lot of problems despite having weaknesses elsewhere. So yeah, I mean I think I think the defensive line is probably the most important with a close one B being the cornerback position. But I think the cornerback position, based on what I saw in practice, because I, I know Carolina's wide receivers that were out there in practice are pretty good. And I know Drake May can throw the rock. I'm pretty confident in Carolina's corners coming into this game. I think they're going to be pretty good, but you know the the defensive line is the is the question mark, and that makes them to me the the difference between winning and losing. And, and Greg, you teed it up for me, like you said. Here's some fun numbers, repeating a little bit of what we did last night. Last night, or, uh, we we talked about the havoc rate caused when Carolina blitzed. Carolina's havoc rate when blitzing was nine point eight percent. Less than 10% of blitzes did they do anything that caused any sort of havoc for the offense. That That's not good, right? And that was third worst in the country ahead of USF and Charlotte, right? Defensive success rate when blitzing. Defensive success rate when blitzing was 52.0, which was 112th in the country. That's why they didn't blitz very much because teams could rely on, first of all, them not doing a great job of getting home and creating sacks and, and getting quite as much out of that as, as you'd think. Although, interesting thing, their ratio of, of blitzes to sacks was actually higher than average nationally. But what they gave up in the passing game and in the running game when they blitzed overall was worse. So they did actually get some sacks. It's just when they didn't get sacks, it went very badly for the defense last year. So that's where the combination of, of coverage and, and getting a little bit of additional pressure is really key. And the thing is, it's not about blitzing here as much as it is, can you get sufficient pressure 
you don't need to sack Spencer Rattler. You need to make him uncomfortable. This is a guy that does not like when there's people at his feet. He does not like it when there's when he feels you know compressed in the pocket. He he's pretty good uh, on the move. He can you know make a lot of different throws. If you let him out outside a contain, he moves pretty well and and all of that. And and if you don't affect him at all and you let him play seven on seven, he's really good. But if you can if you can just make him deal with a little bit of of discomfort in terms of you can't step into this throw or a little bit of compression or you know got to slide this way and and then you have to force him to to throw into some tight coverage then then you're going to see some struggles and to me that is really where this ball game is most likely to going to be decided yeah i mean if you're blitzing and you're getting nine percent havoc rate you might as well just run the guy off the side of the field and you take him out of coverage and all and greg that was what was interesting talking to Chiswick as the year went on last year, um, he said, we're going to do what we're able to do. You know, I'm not just going to do it because people think we need to do it. And to Jason's point, they basically couldn't. So my question is, how much of it do they do Saturday, do you think? Or do they wait and see what they've got on the back end? Jason's very confident in the corners. Where are we on the confidence level? Per Jason Staples, you know, on his picks, you know, confidence level in North Carolina's corners to support those blitzes or those opportunities to get the Rattler. Well, I think it really, it really is going to depend on health, right? Uh, because we know a lot of these guys in the secondary for North Carolina have been banged up in training camp. How healthy is everybody? Uh, you know, is, is Huzzy going to be your, your stud number one cornerback? Is he going to have to play inside it? At nickel some, or at the, what they call it, the star position. Um, if you've got to move him inside some, well, now you're talking about Marcus Allen, who's a young guy, and Teon Holloway, who's a retro freshman. Those are very young guys having to play a lot of snaps, you know, if, uh, if Huzzy's not able to play on the outside the whole time. So I think those are important questions. Um, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, if you don't have enough talent in the secondary last year, have you upgraded enough this year to make that big of a difference? And yes, Huzzy, we, we know the returns on him have been very positive. Um, but you're I mean, still starting a lot of the same guys at, at safety, and you got some young guys, as I mentioned, with Holloway and Allen who are having to play, and uh, your backup stars of, was a running back last year. Um, so you, can you expect that big of a turnaround if, if you're really just relying on one guy to come in and make a big difference? And that's really the question. So, uh, I know Chizik talked about that. Uh, I, a lot of it though, I think it's kind of scheme. Um, and so you, you have to, you have to be a little bit more aggressive. You have to do things differently to get different results. Um, if you keep, wanting to do the exact same thing, you're going to have some problems. Um, and what have we heard about for, for years now at North Carolina on the defensive line? The ability to get somebody after the passer, pass rushers. I mean, that's something that Mac Brown has talked about year after year after year. And so where does that come from? And we know Kamon Rucker is the guy that can do that. But who else? Who else is going to step up? Because if you get somebody who all of a sudden can be consistent at getting pressure, 
in making the offensive line and the offense as a whole say, hey, this guy's a problem. We've got to help over here. When's the last time Carolina had somebody like that on the defensive line? That's what has to happen because once you have that, then everything opens up. Uh, and, you know, are there enough pieces in place to be able to do that? Or does Chiswick have to get creative in how he schemes things up to cover some of those things? You know, Jay Bateman always talked about, we don't have pieces, we got to scheme around it, right? You have to have simula simulated pressure at times if you can't get real pressure. So all these things go into it, but it goes back to the very you know, beginning of what we talked about, Tommy. It's time for some of these kids to really grow up and play up to their uh, expected talent ranking. Now, some of these guys may never get there, but they should be better up front than what they have been. There's enough talent here for these guys to be productive. And if you're good up front, that makes the backside look so much better. Uh, and so, you know, I think he's got to be careful about what, what coaches say and, and how that kind of stuff plays out. Yep. It's time to talk about Johnny T-Shirt. JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Somebody was in the chat mm. saying, here Ooh. it comes. And uh, it is. It, you know, there are sponsors. we got to talk about them. They're our friends. They're your friends if you're an Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. I said it last night. I've said it several times this week. Uh, I said it 100 times this year. Go see them on Franklin Street. Go support them. And if you can't get to Franklin Street, order it online. It's the same great customer service. And, of course, they deliver it to your door. I'm still fascinating. It's uh, still fascinating that, you know, old as I am, and I'm joking, but you can order stuff and somebody will bring it to your door. I mean, that's 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 pretty awesome, you know. And, and so, uh, you know, they don't do it on a Pony Express anymore. They do it with a million trucks from everywhere. Uh, but Johnny T-shirt, hook them up, take care of them, wear that gear. When you come down to Frothy Beard Brewery, on 1200 South Graham Street before the game. Check out the Inside Carolina Live tailgate from 4.30 to 6.30 and support us, support the brewery, support Mike and all the people that are putting on the great tailgate. Right now, the national guys on the audio version are going to pay the bills. It's the game plan, first one of the season. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, Jason, I'm going to bring you back in here on the game plan. South Carolina edition, critical opener for the Tar Heels. Uh, let's get right into the actual game plan. Now, it's funny, you mentioned how long we've been doing these shows. For a while there, we got in a pretty solid run of – what we said, or specifically what you guys said, was going to happen, happened on Saturday. So let's talk about it. How, and let's start on the defensive side of the ball. How does North Carolina 
get this job done in the front seven. I'm going to let you talk about them first because I know you'd like the back, the back end, or at least on the edges on the back. Front seven for North Carolina. Go. Well, I think I think the first thing that 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 you got to focus on there is is you've got to make sure that South Carolina is, has as little success running the football as they did most of last year. So it really starts on first and second down, and you know every coordinator that Carolina's had has been truthful on this. Look, you know why can't you get why can't you get pass rush? Why aren't you ma- managing to uh, to get people you know on the ground in the pocket? Well, you know when it's Third and three, you're not going to get a lot of sacks, right? That's a, that's what you keep hearing, and that's true. So one thing that that again I looked at when when I was when I was going through the the numbers for this game was uh, South Carolina's rushing log last year. Greg, I, I know you looked at this rushing yards per attempt last year for South Carolina. Tommy, you got a you got a guess on their on their season total? Oh, I had yards it up. per attempt. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on a second. I can tell you, I can tell you. 3.8. Yeah, 3.76 yards per attempt rushing, right? That's 1.38 against George, against Arkansas, 2.47 against a common opponent in Georgia State, 3.07. That's actually pretty good against Georgia. Uh, you go down the list 3.37 against AM, 1.39 against Missouri, 5.94 at Vandy. And then get down to 4.03 in a blowout uh, against Tennessee, 1.77 against Clemson. Clemson's pretty good up front. 2.95 against Notre Dame. You got to have them in similar space in terms of of running the football first and foremost. And I think that means you're going to try to get as much out of of Cayman Rucker on the field. Uh, you know, you're going to have your, your big D line on the field on first and second down. You're going to have Rucker, you're going to have Des Evans, and then you're going to have your, your your two big defensive tackles. Those guys will rotate. And those guys have to eat up those blocks. So that's number one. And I think you basically try to uh, to play pretty straightforward. Just let those guys get upfield and try to create enough havoc that it's going to be a problem and move on from there. Now, it's after that that you know you you've got a chance and i do think you're going to see some things trying to get pressure on rattler i think they're going to be more aggressive in terms of if they can get if they can get you know second and eight third and seven stuff i think you're going to see more aggression and more blitz stuff in this game than you've seen from gene chiswick at carolina because i think they believe in their corners and and, and it's not just huzzy that i i think is is pretty good i think Tayon holloway is good enough that you you feel like he can cover better than what you had out there last year. And, you know, I think that's, uh, that's, you know, between Holloway and Allen, I think you're, you're still generally a little bit better than you were last year on the outside. And, and I think you're going to see Huzzy a lot on the inside, regardless, just because he's so good as a slot corner and a lot of teams are going to run 11 personnel. So you just lock down that slot. And if you can lock down the slot with a guy, and then trust your two outside corners. That frees you up to to be more exotic with some of the other spots. So I think you're going to see a, see some of that in this game. But emphasis on shutting down the run and and clogging some things on first down. And then you know again, I think Huzzy trying to lock down. They're gonna they're gonna let him go one on one with whoever's in the slot, and and they'll be creative from there. 
So uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't get a couple comments from the chat. First of all, somebody says, Jason in the bathroom. <laughs> and, and then this might be one of the low-key good. He's in the vents at the FSU Board of Trustees meeting room. <laughs> Uh, given the news that's this sort of trickling out of the ACC president's meetings here, um, I guess, you know, coming up, I, I saw that they're meeting on Friday night. It's interesting. They, they can meet about that stuff on, on Labor Day weekend. Greg, uh, tell me who, on the, in Carolina's front, who's the most important player on Saturday? Front, fr we'll go front seven. It's a, uh, it's a very good question, Tommy. Um, you know, I'd like to be able to point out one guy. The guy we pointed out last year a lot was Miles Murphy, and I know he was banged up a good bit last year. I think he's the most talented guy up front North Carolina has. It's got to be somebody in the defensive line, uh, the defensive tackle room, right? So Kevin Hester probably doesn't get enough credit for what he's done. But I think those two, Miles Murphy's probably the, the number one guy. Look, and I'll just kind of echo what, what Jason said. Um, as we've already talked about, Spencer Rattler, when he's put under pressure, doesn't perform very well. Uh, you, you've got a new offensive coordinator who spent two years at Arkansas uh, with Sam Pittman. He'd been in the NFL for about two decades prior. He's been an offensive coordinator for seven years at the NFL level. So he's got a lot of experience and knowledge. Um, and South Carolina is 12 and one under Shane Beamer when they rush for at least hundred yards in a game. And when you think about that offensive line, you know, Carolina's seeing that and thinking the same thing that I've already laid out, like, Hey, they're vulnerable there. So if we can get pressure up front, create havoc for that offensive line, everything kind of works in our favor. Uh, and so what South Carolina is going to do, as Jason said, they're going to want to try to run the ball. Um, you know, when you look at kind of what they have in the running back room, Juju McDowell is their leading rusher coming back. He had 219 yards last year. However, people may remember this name, uh, to carry on Joiner. Quarterback, right? He was. He was nine <laughs> of nine for 160 yards against Carolina in the Mayo Bowl. How about that? Um, but was wide receiver last year, didn't play much. They did get him in. I think he was five of six passing with a touchdown as a wide receiver. So there's some of your, your trickery. Uh, but they've moved him, and right now he's listed as the starter at running back. The big guy, 6'1", 229. So they, they like what he can do. Um, and so I think you're going to see South Carolina going to try to establish early that, hey, we understand there may be some issues up front, but we're going to have success running the ball, and we're going to make North Carolina, who has not been very good up front, stop us. Because if they can get into these situations where they've got third and five, third and four, uh, look out, because Spencer Rattler is going to have some time to throw the ball, and it's going to be problematic for North Carolina. Um, and so I, I, I think that's the plan. I think this is this is pretty simple for North Carolina defensively, is you have to be able to limit what South Carolina wants to do running the ball. If you can do that, you're going to have a really good game statistically, and it's going to be a, a pretty easy game for the Tar Heels overall. But if South Carolina can take the approach of keeping it slow-paced, moving the change, uh, giving Spencer Rattler opportunities to throw when he's not under duress, well, that changes things, and that puts a lot of pressure on Drake May to, to score a lot of points. 
Jason, uh, I muted you earlier when you were crawling out of the vent there. Um, I muted you just then. What about what's the defensive game plan for Gene Chizik? Well, I mean, what's what's going on here? He, they've got a. It's got to be significantly different than it was last year. How does that happen on Saturday? You think the game plan has to be significantly different? The production plan has to be significant. Yeah, the production plan has to be different. I don't know that – I mean, a lot of what they did last year, they're still going to keep trying to do. It's just a matter of, okay, if you're going to rush four with, you know, quarters behind it or cover seven behind it or, you know, some version of – you know, they ran they ran, they ran, ran decent number of coverages last year. Uh, but, you know, whatever, whatever coverage behind it, well, whatever four you you're you're bringing have to be more productive in what they're doing. You know, the difference in production is not going to be as much about differences in scheme. It's going to be much more about differences in whether or not a guy like Miles Murphy gets pressure, whether or not a you know the defensive tackle opposite him is able to hug himself into a double team to prevent you know the guy that that should be helping on Miles Murphy to be able to get to him. You know, that's the sort of thing that they're trying to work on is making sure that that the guy that they want to be one on one, you know, OK, Rucker is going to be one on one. How can we make sure that Rucker doesn't get chipped or doesn't get help? You know, that, that, that whoever is is he's up against isn't getting help from somewhere. How can you make sure that that happens? That's the stuff that they're trying to really work hard on. And they did a lot of work on that in spring and in camp. Uh, but again, it's all about can they get those guys up front to do better than they did last year in those very same scenarios. I don't think you want to, you know, to put yourself in a, you know, bring seven, you know, the, the, the old uh, video game thing of punt block, uh, you know, run punt block. Uh, I don't think you want to do that, but I mean, I do think you're going to, you're going to see them test their corners early. I think they're going to want to see, okay, can we cover these guys single on early downs? Do, do we feel comfortable you know, with those guys, or is somebody popping open and it might be dangerous later? I think you're going to see some of that early, but, um, but, you know, I, I think, I think generally speaking, it's going to look a lot like what you've seen schematically from Carolina the last three, four years. One thing I wanted to mention and Greg, you, you I mean, Jason, you mentioned punt block, but Greg, I saw where South Carolina's punter last year is four for four with a couple of touchdowns last year. Special teams may well be huge in this game as well. Mac has, has expressed some frustration with some inconsistency in the kicking game. Obviously, punting should be good. Kickoff should be good. Coverages are different or are difficult because you don't hit full full speed. What about special teams here in this game, specifically defending South Carolina, trying to get a little tricky? Because I'm thinking I'm running punt safe. You, you referenced – a Madden play call. I'm running punt safe on every punt that they have. What do you think, Greg? Special teams. Yeah, it's always it's always kind of that hidden factor, right? Um, and in North Carolina, since Larry Porter's taken over that that side or that that phase of the game, they've been pretty solid. Uh, and so I would just I would just assume that will continue. And you just have to be aware. Um, and that's you know we talked to start the show, Tommy, about depth, about how Carolina has you know, four and five guys at a lot of these positions. Well, that really shows up on special teams because you're not having to wear guys out playing special teams. You're not having to lean so much on on walk-ons or, or guys that really aren't ever going to play offensively or defensively. Um, and so North Carolina is in a position where they, they have a, a healthy and a legitimate two deep on all their special teams units. 
and that helps you in these situations. You do have to, I mean, you know, Frank Beamer, uh, he made his mark, right, with special teams. So it shouldn't be any surprise that his son's doing the same kind of thing. Uh, so you just have to be aware of it. And you have to make sure you cover your bases. And I'm sure they've spent a lot of extra time, uh, not just this week in game prep, but also in, in training camp, kind of keeping an eye on this, making sure that they've got all their bases covered. Yeah, I think when you look at it in this aspect of the game, I think a big play is going to happen on Saturday. I think North Carolina could be the one that makes it. Um, they've got some dynamic options at returners, um, but it's often a factor that nobody thinks about. Let, let's go ahead. We're about 45 minutes into this. Jason has settled. He has landed the ship. Jason, let's talk about the offense. We're going to assume that Tez Walker is not playing. I don't know what the heck's going to happen with Tez Walker. I know that it's ridiculous that it's still going on. Just somebody make a damn decision and tell the kid one way or another. But, Jason, offensively, does North Carolina try to establish the run or do they let Drake May do Drake May things and we'll have our Drake May portion every day after um, <laughs> for the rest of the season? Where are you there? Well, let me ask you this question. If you were the offensive coordinator. 50 times a game. What would you do? <laughs> Hey, throw it 50 times a game. Look, let's be honest. You've got Drake May. You've got Drake May for one more year. <laughs> I'm not establishing nothing except Drake May. What I'm establishing, <laughs> what I'm establishing is Drake freaking May. That's what I'm establishing. I'm going out there and I'm establishing Drake May. And then I'm trying to run it into favorable looks. That's what I'm doing. So I know that they're gonna that, that they are gonna respect the heck out of that guy because he's really good at what he does, and that's gonna give me favorable numbers in certain cases. And that's when I'm gonna come into the, into play and and try to run it. That's when I'm gonna try to do different things uh, to provide some balance. What you want is you want to let Drake May do Drake May stuff. You want to let him drop back and and do all the things that he does while giving him the luxury of favorable down and distances of being able to throw it when he wants to throw it, not, not because you're in third and 12 or whatever. So that's what, that's, that, that's your aim. And, and the way I'm coming into this is I'm throwing the ball on first down early. I'm establishing and I'm trying to get him as, as, in rhythm early on as I can. And, and I'm, I'm throwing on first down, you know, maybe some sort of RPO type thing that he's real comfortable with on first down. Next first down, I'm throwing again. Next first down, I'm probably throwing again. And then, you know, I'm mixing some runs in there on second and seven, second and two, you know, these sorts of things. If you get a, you know, a chunk play, then maybe you run it right then. So, you know, I'm trying to take advantage of that and using – you know, you used to run the ball to set up the pass. I think with Drake May, you pass to set up the run. You let teams start to try to take away what some of the stuff you're having success with, and when they start to take that away, now you hand it off and you, and you get chunk plays with your backs. That's my approach in this, and I'm trying to let Drake May come out and establish himself and show why he is, you know, thought of as the way that he is. Greg, your take here. I mean, one of the most frustrating things watching this offense last season was seeing the first down run up the gut, second down run up the gut, and then worrying about Drake bailing it out. 
We saw that against NC State. What's the game plan here for Chip Lindsey? We talked in the offseason, Chip Lindsey's under some pressure here. Uh, you've got the keys to a Ferrari. You can't put it in the ditch. Your take here, Greg. Yeah, well, let, let's talk about Chip a little bit. Um, this this is an interesting dynamic for him. As you mentioned, he walks in and there's, there's pressure because of Drake Mays last year. Um, Chip Lindsey's resume does not really compare in terms of offensive success to Phil Longo's. Uh, Chip Lindsay's best year as a play caller was in 2017 at Auburn. And in terms of points per possession, FEI, last year's Carolina team was better than that Auburn offense. Um, now, what was the idea behind the Chip Lindsay hire, right? The, the Chip Lindsay hire was about, okay, this is a true quarterback coach, which, which is accurate. Uh, he's been around Gus Malzahn quite a bit. So Tony Franklin understudy um he's going to be more diverse in what he wants to do with the run game and with that he also you know utilizes the, the air raid um so that the thought is maybe that he, while he's not as explosive especially scoring the ball as a phil longo offense it's going to pair better with the defense and they're going to be more efficient running the ball and kind of balancing things out offensively to be more effective when they need to be more effective. Um, how quickly that materializes, we'll have to wait and see. But that's that's one of the interesting things for me is how does he change things in terms of running the ball? Uh, maybe Jason could give us some ideas there. And I, I totally agree. You know, you, you want to make sure you you maximize what uh, Drake May can do. You know, one thing I, I would like to point out: if you look, you know, Clayton White. Uh, entering his third year at South Carolina defensive coordinator. He's pretty good. And I know they lost a couple pieces last year up front. But last year, South Carolina ranked 26 nationally uh, in terms of opponent quarterback passer efficiency rating. Hmm. Uh, so they were they were really good in kind of limiting the damage of opposing quarterbacks. Uh, and so that's just something to kind of keep in mind. Yeah, you want to lean on Drake May for sure. But if you're not balanced offensively, as we saw late in the year last year, uh, there's ways to frustrate Drake May. And if you can take away the run and frustrate Drake, then you start seeing some of those outcomes like we saw at the end of last year, which clearly is not what North Carolina wants. Jason, you got to follow there. You know, Greg's got me teetering on maybe it's not Drake May 50 times a game. <laughs> Well, see, the thing, is, the thing is, letting Drake May do Drake May stuff doesn't mean having him drop back 50 times a game. That's the thing. That's the thing you got to understand. And, and you know, the key there is if you want – if you have an elite quarterback, and this is one of the things, you know, uh, God rest his soul, Mike Leach used to talk about. Mike Leach used to talk about how, how efficiency is how you should measure balance used to say this all the time. If you've got an elite running back, a lot of times that means you should throw the football more. <laughs> right? It, you know, his thing is, okay, you got a guy that's averaging, averaging seven yards a carry. Well, what you're trying to do is you're trying to find the balance where your offense, where your, your pass offense is now going to be getting, you know, somewhere around nine yards a carry because there's a little bit more risk in, involved in, off, in, in offense, but nine yards an attempt. And you try to balance those things, right? So you want to maximize the output. 
you want to maximize the output of both pass and run at the same time. Because if you got that guy that's averaging seven yards a carry and then you give it to him an extra hundred times because he was averaging seven yards a carry, suddenly he's averaging five. And you're not getting the payoff of some of the play action stuff that you can get off of that. As soon as you've got a dominant player or a dominant phase of the game, the, the game theory aspect of this is important to think about. As soon as they know that that guy's dominant and they, they set out to stop him, that means you actually do the other stuff more because that's more likely to, to hit against them. So what you do is you come out and you establish Drake May early. You basically say, look, he is who you thought he was going to be. You're going to have to commit to this now. <laughs> and as they start to commit to that, that's when you start handing the rock off and you start averaging seven, eight yards of carry because they're lined up to stop that guy. That's what you try to do. And I think the, the best case scenario for Carolina, I think Carolina wins a lot of football games this year when, when Drake May throws between 35 and 40 passes. You know, somewhere in there. You know, if his, if his if he's throwing somewhere in the 30s in terms of pass attempts, those are wins, most likely. Because that means you, you probably had success running the football and, you know, he, he was efficient in, in throwing it. When he's throwing it 50, 60 times, that usually means, first of all, you, you know, your defense has probably given up some scores. And second of all, you, you know, you're probably not efficient enough running the football to, to be able to have him throw it when he wants to throw it as opposed to just because he has to. And so you want him to do, you want to set him up to do the Drake May stuff by having him come out, do it first, you know, first drive or two, you, you, you establish what you got. And then you just start feeding him a, a, a nice diet of balance. And, and that's the, that's the thing you asked a little bit about what uh, Chip Lindsay is going to bring in the running game. I think the biggest difference is they're going to try to the, the emphasis in this running game is they're going to try to get teams vertical. You're going to see a little bit more downhill focus from the running backs just in general. And there's going to be a little bit more variation in terms of what they do with their H backs and some of that stuff to try to get some lead blocks and, and some other things, a little bit more counter, a little more power on some things uh, trying to get downhill with 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 the guy in front at times. And when they do go inside zone, they're trying to go into the they're going a gap to a gap inside zones going straight ahead. Uh, and you're going to see a little bit more of, of that emphasis uh, on this from this from this coaching staff. Uh more than what you what you saw with Longo. And I think they'll run Drake May on some of the designed like quarterback draw type stuff. I think you're going to see less of that from this staff than what, what you saw from from Longo. They got pretty dependent on that late in the year last year. So Jason, the you kind of you stole my question with that last answer, but I'll ask anyway. But in terms of Drake May throwing 30 times a game, so if if he doesn't do like Pat Mahomes did a couple of years ago and attempt 87 passes in a game that's probably a good thing is that what you're saying yeah I'm, I, I'm i'm thinking that's probably a good sign in terms of uh you didn't need it <laughs> he uh i mean he threw for 734 yards on 87 pass attempts against oklahoma that's nuts um so i love here, here's some here's an assignment for everybody listening to this go out there with somebody with a friend with one of your kids or whatever with a regulation football line up 20 yards away and throw the football 87 times count it <laughs> now let's see what your what your arm feels like <laughs> after after doing that right i mean 
<laughs> yeah. How many plays did they run in that game? Like 120? It was 60-59. It's probably 90. He threw 87 yeah. times on 90, 90, yeah, 90 plays. Um, so I'll, I'll build on your last point there. I was going to ask you, you know, for, for Carolina fans wanting to learn as much as they can about Chip Lindsay on Saturday night, kind of what, what are you looking for? You touched on it a little bit offense, I mean, running game-wise. But just as a whole, I mean, we understand he's still going to do the air raid, all those kind of things in the passing game. But if you could just kind of pinpoint, I don't know, two, three, four things for people to look for that kind of provides a little bit of a difference between what Chip wants to do and what Phil Longo did. Okay, one is that Chip is going to throw the football to the backs a little more in uh, what, what you might call uh, like a drift scenario, so uh, on checkdowns. So you're going to see backs in check releases, so you know, checking for, for, for pressure back then releases and then he's going to be in the kind of in the hole you know in front of the 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 offensive line to where you see a lot of backs drop off but he's got a specific way he likes to coach it where that that guy is actually going to drift a little bit so that he's catching it going upfield uh and he, he he likes that guy to catch it going upfield and the quarterback to kind of put it on him in that situation and to get it out early he likes to throw that a lot so uh when I was talking to him about this, we, we talked about how Steve Spurrier used to do, do that a lot. And he learned, you know, he, he, he basically took that kind of thing from that approach. Uh, you know, the, in the fun and gun, the old Steve Spurrier offense, uh, which, by the way, Spurrier tended to prefer calling air ball for what it's worth, um, which actually makes more sense, you know, considering yeah. he was a Duke coach. So, um, but. That's uh, got but, a shade game going this season. <laughs> But, um, but you know, that sort of thing, throw into the backs on those little Texas routes, little angle routes, little, you know, uh, check downs and that sort of thing, getting them drifting upfield. His belief is that in, when you've got quality wide receivers and a quarterback who can threaten you downfield, that's free yardage and that's just running game yardage. And you can really make a lot of drives look look really easy when you just dump that off to a back who's going to get 10 12 yards every time on that so i think that's one thing you're going to see a lot of in, and that's especially against teams that like to press and like to play a lot of pressure and bring uh, bring pressure against drake may i think you're going to see a lot of situations where drake may is just you know immediately just turning and, and dumping it to the back in those situations uh where the back's going to have some of those easy yards that's that's one thing that i think is uh, a point of emphasis for him. Another one is actually not so much just Chip Lindsay, but I think this is a, a kitchen. Uh, this is a Freddie K- uh, Kitchens. Um, he, he's bringing this to the table. If you go back and watch some of the Brown stuff, some of the vertical type stuff, so little skinny posts and that sort of thing from the inside receiver or tight end, and they'll run it actually on both sides. So it's not exactly four verts. They'll do all sorts of stuff on the outside of it but they're just trying to get matchups against the weaker coverage players on the inside and get a tight end, like a, a Nesbitt, who's a bigger target or a faster slot, you know, somebody who's a, you know, slippery cover, like a, a Pesor or a, uh, or, you know, Nate, you know, these guys, you know, McCollum, these guys, they're going to try to get those guys upfield on some verticals sort of bending in into the inside of the field and just throwing it right past the ear of the underneath coverage you know, in between, if you've got split safeties, just splitting safeties. If you've got single safety, they're going to, they're going to keep that a little straighter. 
you're going to see that as another point of emphasis. Uh, so I think those are a couple things, a little bit more vertical throwing game just in general than what what you saw from uh, from from Longo, especially last year. Uh, so more vertical throws, more throws in, you know, sort of check down type stuff to the backs and just more check downs built into the offense in general. Uh, and then uh, trying to use those those slots and some option routes and things. He he loves giving, getting a one on one with the with the slot receiver and letting that guy just dance, do his thing. You know, Julian Edelman type stuff, what 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 they did at, at uh, with the Patriots with him. A lot of uh, screen passes. Were there. Yeah, lots of them. Yeah. Yeah, but that was, I mean, they, they ran a decent number of screens and things with, with Longo. One thing you'll yeah. see less of is that little uh, flare screen that Longo liked so much. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not going to see that a whole lot, I don't think, with uh, with, with Lindsay. I, I, I can't remember seeing that once in any of the practices that we saw where, you know, back lines up or you see that little motion and all of a sudden quarterback just opens up and throws, you know, and that that actually had, there are a couple, you know, important interceptions on that in the last couple of years. So I'm, I'm not that sad to see that one go. Yeah, and if you don't block it correctly, you're going to get blown up as well on those type things. Let's, uh, you know, I feel like I've teed you guys up pretty well. You know, I like playing devil's advocate and then also show my ignorance on a lot of this stuff. So we're going, we're going to turn to the big portion. We had our season prediction show yesterday, uh, but now we got to get a little more detailed than just a win or loss. Uh, let me flip my coin because I know y'all like to piggyback off each other. I'm going heads for Greg. You're up first. Predictions, Carolina, South Carolina. Let's see. What did I pick in the preseason prediction pod? (laughs) Did you do a score? No, I'm trying to think. You need to know who you predicted. Right, exactly. Who did I pick to win? (laughs) I I picked Carolina to win. Yeah, I think think this is going to be a competitive game, primarily because it's the first game of the year. There's going to be a lot of emotions. First games are always a little bit sloppy. You know, as, as Jason noted earlier, uh, tackling seems to be an issue in these games quite a bit. Some of the games taking place on Thursday evening are, are sloppy as well. Uh, but I think North Carolina's the better team. And I think that will play out over the course of the year. Um, but I think this is a really good test for reasons we've already talked about. But I, I think Carolina is going to be in a position where they're going to have to make some plays in the second half of this game to win, which I think is a good thing for them. And I've got Carolina winning this one, 35-28. Oh, man. Nope, you can't do it, Jason. Same zone, nope. same, zone same area. There's 4 million combinations here. Yep. You that, was not my, that was not the score I had in my head, so that's good. <laughs> that's good, but we're close. So Greg Barnes has it, 35-28, North Carolina. A um, little bit of outside of the norm that we've seen across the country on these predictions. Jason, you're up. So again, I think this is going to be a competitive game. It's first game. You're going to have the, uh, the you're going to have some missed tackles in this game that are going to be infuriating on both sides. Uh, but in this kind of opener, I'm going with the, I'm going generally with the team that I, I trust up front more. I think both teams have some questions up front. Uh, I think. South Carolina has probably fewer questions on the defensive line, but no, no, Carolina doesn't have less talent. They just got more questions due to past uh, performance. And I think both offensive lines have some question marks coming into this game. So given that, I default to the quarterback, right? And uh, is, there, is there anybody else in the country that you, you know, if it came down to quarterback that you're taking over Drake May? Nope. 
I mean, some folks would say Caleb Williams. I'm not sure I would. No, I wouldn't either. So, you know, I, I, I think this, I think that's the, the, the X factor in this. I think ultimately the defense gets a couple takeaways for the first time in a while that you've seen that, that sort of thing from the secondary, but I think you're going to see a couple takeaways in this game and that's the difference. So I'm going to go with Carolina to, to win this. I'm going to go with Carolina 34-24. 34-24. I guess that puts me up. Uh, you know, I've, I think there's going to be some bust in this game. That's going to lead it to be a little bit more high scoring. I'm not a betting person. I don't. What's the over? 64 something like that. Anyway, I'm thinking 41 to 30 Carolina, just because I think there's going to be a bust touchdown on each side. You know, so. I think this is a game, it reminds me of 2019. Uh, I still can't believe some of the plays that Sam Howe made in that game and some of the catches. I know there's going to be guys out. You know, we're expecting Tez Walker not to be there. If he's there, great. Um, Guys get banged up in preseason camp. It's time for people to step up. I mean, I think a guy that steps up big is Kobe Pesor. You know, I know we've talked about him. For me last season, aside from Drake, the most impressive thing that I saw all year was the way Kobe and even J.J. Jones and Gavin Blackwell at times stepped up when Josh Downs and Antoine Green were out. And I think that gets lost in the Tez Walker ordeal that's going on with the yep. NCAA. Pacer is my pick for the for the breakout player in this game. Breakout player, Jason. Greg, do you have one? Anybody on the defense, Greg, breakout player. But I, I've got 41-30, Carolina. Uh I'll go Marcus Allen. How about that? Nice. Nice pick. And, uh, I think he needs to have a solid game. I think he will. I think he, he, he really flashed end of last year. So. Yep. And if it's somebody on the defensive line, then that's even better for North Carolina. Yeah, so, I wouldn't be surprised to see, to, to see Des Evans show out a little bit in this, in this first game. Uh, he's, got to, uh, he's got to actually get it done. If I had to pick one, I would say Miles Murphy. I'll never forget Miles getting on us for not giving him any props a couple of years ago. And I didn't say it, but I wanted to say props for what? You know, now's the time to get those props for him. So I think he might be that guy. Uh, let me clarify a couple of things. Frothy Beard Brewery on Saturday from 4.30 to 6.30. I would assume anybody that wants to come to the brewery can come. There's a ton of Inside Carolina people parking there. They do have a food set up. You might want to reach out to Mike Tester as far as food. Um, we'll have some IC swag there. It's going to be a little hectic. It gets a little crowded in that lot, but we'll be passing out that. Trying to do it live, um, you know, through our YouTube channel. We'll see how that goes. I'm not promising anything there. Um, Greg, anything left before we get out of here? I promise these game plans will not be an hour and eight minutes, but it just feels like this one was worthy of it. Closing thoughts, Greg. No, I just think we've been talking a lot for eight months now, right? And uh, it's finally time to, to kick off. It's it's refreshing to be able to turn on the TV and see a variety of games to watch, even though most of them are not really good right now. Yeah, it's um, always refreshing to see what's happening to Florida. So, <laughs> yeah, let's, just ready for this to happen. Either. He's not playing. <laughs> yeah, some interesting football. Uh, Carolina, South Carolina, seven thirty. Closing thoughts, Jason. You got you got thirty seconds. Um, I don't really have any closing thoughts, except I'm I'm looking forward to seeing some some really interesting football this weekend. Uh, it's, it's finally here. 
Yep, I think we'll learn a lot on Saturday tonight. Could be ugly, could be pretty. Uh, we'll know more, and we'll talk the day after. I guess at 9 o'clock in the morning on Sunday <laughs> with Jason, Buck, and myself live from Charlotte somewhere. We'll see where we all end up. As always, a pleasure. Johnny T-shirt, shout out to the 200-plus people that have joined us for another long Inside Carolina podcast. You fans are the greatest. We'll see you in Charlotte. Come say hello and watch it on TV if you can't get there. And support Johnny T-shirt. Thanks, guys. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.